series, I guess we're going to start about our relationship with God. Amen. And so, uh, going to dive into that tonight. Amen. If you happen to uh, gaze at the nightly sky, and or maybe if you're too busy to, then you, I'm sure you've come across an image at some point of the stars that fill the sky. They are innumerable, and from our perspective, they all kind of look the same, don't they? Uh, some, we can spot the differences, different size, uh, maybe a different brightness, and even if you can spot Mars, you can tell it's a different color than uh, the other ones. Um, but for the majority of them, we probably just kind of lump them all together in the same bag as just a bunch of stars up there. And from afar, they seem similar, but upon a closer examination, every star out there is unique. Everyone is different. There are not two that are the same. I say that like I've examined them all. I'm just assuming that they're all different. For each little star is comprised of billions of other stars. Every little star that we see, oh, we think it's just a star, but it's actually most likely a galaxy of a whole other cluster of stars. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm assuming that there are no, no two galaxies alike. And so we can't say that with certainty, and I don't think truly anybody can. But we make those assumptions based on what we can see and what we can observe. And we know that there are no two humans alike. There are no two humans alike. Every person has a unique set of fingerprints. Otherwise, the finger ID, fingerprint ID on our phones would be useless if there was somebody else there that had our fingerprint. Uh, every person has a unique sequence of DNA that is nowhere else to be found. And so nearly 8 billion people on this planet, and we are all special in our own way. And even with the incalculable differences between us, there is a God in heaven who sees and knows each and every single person. That he knows what makes us different because the Bible states that before he formed us in the belly, he already knew us. And he knew the unique individual that we would become. And the Bible also states that he knows the number of hairs that are upon our heads. Not just yours and mine, but every single person that is alive right now and whoever was alive in the history of mankind. So don't tell me that you're not a special person, that God doesn't care about you and your well-being. If he didn't care for you, then why would he take the time to create you? If he created you, then he's got a calling for you. If he made you, then he has a purpose for you and he has a ministry for you. And so there's no such thing as a useless person because every person is unique and every person has a unique purpose and a unique place in the kingdom of God. And so don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Don't listen to that liar Lucifer. Don't listen to your foolish friends. Don't listen to your fair-weathered family members. 
who will try to tell you that you're not all that special or you're not all that unique because you are. You are special. God created you for a purpose and for such a time as this. People only say those things because they don't see themselves as special in God's eye. They don't see themselves as the apple of God's eye. They, they may see themselves as just another person or, 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 or worthless and wretched and God can't use me. And so if he can't use me, I'm not going to let him use you. And so, of course, misery loves company. And so that's why we got to be careful who's in our company. Uh, because we, we want to be uh, exhorting one another and lifting each other up. And it, uh, the world is hard enough as it is. We don't need people in our circles tearing us down and talking down about us. We need people praying for us and lifting each other up and, and helping encourage each other and saying, hey, I'll be there for you. I'll, I'll help you out. I'll, I'll say a prayer for you. I'll, I'll intercede on your behalf. And so I'm going to keep my company, and I'm sure you keep in your company with those who are called of God and who are keeping his commandments uh, to the best that we can. Amen. And we want to, obviously, we want our company to grow. We want to reach out to others and invite them in and uh, tell them what God can do for them because he did it for us. Amen. Uh, and so because of the way that we have been created, uh, life is filled with relationships, and it is impossible to just be in one uh, relationship and to know only one. And obviously, I'm not talking about marriage. Uh, we are told and we are commanded to be in one. Uh, but every person that you meet and that you come to know, a unique relationship is formed with that individual. Relationships can be shallow or they can be deep. They can be formal or they can be informal. They can be serious or they can be silly. There's, all, there's a barrage of different types of relationships out there because the interaction between two beings is this thing called a relationship and no two are the same because no two humans are the same uh, and so therefore no two relationships really are the same. They're all unique. And as we age in this life from toddler to teen to being the oldest, uh, we understand relationships and the differences between them. We do our best to label and categorize them. And we have uh, labels for them all, you know, a, a mother, father, sister, brother. Those are relationships. Uh, aunt, uncle, cousins, you have different relationships with the, that part of your family. You've got a coworker and an acquaintance, different relationship, different people. They may be the same, that's, that's up to you. You got strangers and you got friends. Those describe relationships. You got BFF and you got BF. I don't know what that is, but there's one's missing an F. So there's a different relationship, I'm guessing. The list goes on and on of all these types of uh, relationships that are out there. And so every single one of us, we manage and we control uh, each of these relationships. We are that intelligent of a being that we understand uh, the, the differences between them. My relationship as a father to my kids is different than as an uncle to my brother's kids. 
I let my brother's kids run around and do whatever they want. It's not my kids. But my kids ain't going to do that. At least uh, while I'm not distracted. So, so we're, we're in these different relationships. Um, and yet, it is, it's just me. I'm, I'm one person and I have all these relationships and so do you. You have all of these relationships that you uh, deal with. And when, you, when this uh, certain person comes in the door, uh, you, you identify them and you know the relationship you have with them. Somebody else walks next to them and who? I identify the relationship that I have with them. We're all, we're all different and, and, and unique and yet we're all the same person. And so... Why is it that we mere mortals can grasp that understanding? But yet when it comes to God, people believe that God can't do that. How is it that God has the power to create all of this, but he can't handle a relationship with these mud people all by himself, that he, that you and I can handle 300 different relationships as the same person, but God can't. He has, there has to be three of them that handle humanity. Does that make any sense at all? You and I can handle 300 relationships, but God can't. He, uh, uh, Jesus said that the greatest example of love is for one being to give his life for another being. But yet God the Father loves us so much that he sent God the Son to die for us. In, in my mind, either the Father came and died for me or we've got problems. Either they're all, either God is one and he came and died for me, otherwise there's going to be issues. If God can't figure out those relationships like I can, then I, we've got even bigger problems. Because I can balance all these relationships and I'm one being. Uh, surely God who is almighty and all powerful can handle these things all by himself. That he doesn't need to be split into three different uh, uh, gods. That, uh, and, and we know that there is only one God and he is our father and he's our savior and he's our comforter. And, and you know what I've discovered? That there is more to God than just those relationships. I have found out that he's also my provider. That he's also my physician. That he's also my teacher. That he's also my healer. That God is infinite in his abilities and, and all these relationships that he handles all by himself. And we call him by his name Jesus because there's no other name given to us that is greater, that we know. Uh, and, and so no other greater name than Jesus, and so that's who we call him, Jesus. And, and so while, while we can go through a 17-part series about all the different relationships that God has with humans, we're going to just look at a few in this series. Uh, the Bible categorizes humans into a few, and we'll see how God responds and reacts to each of these uh, relationships. As uh, one person walks in, God identifies them and who they are in the relationship, and he responds and reacts to them a little bit differently than he does somebody else, just like you and I do. Uh, and so we're made in the image of God, and so we got to understand that God, uh, we, do, uh, we do a lot of things like God. Uh, and so God responds and uh, reacts differently to these people. In simplest terms, we can break down the relationships uh, that God has with humanity down to two. As the simplest, you got friend and you got foe. 
sing about him tonight, uh, God, we are God's friend. Uh, and so the simplest is obviously friend and foe. Either you're a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. That's, that's the simplest terms. And God responds and reacts differently to these two groups, doesn't he? The same God, but he has a different relationship that he has with the enemy, his enemies as he does with his friends. Uh, and yet God is the father of all humans, uh, friend or foe, he's father of all humans. He's the savior of all humans, friend or foe. He's, he has that relationship, that door open to everybody. Uh, whether you're friend or foe, obviously we we're all foes at one point and we became his friend. Aren't you thankful you became the friend of God? Uh, and so we're going to kind of dive deeper into those general relationships. And although uh, foe can probably be broken down into subcategories in relationship to God, uh, I don't think it really matters because foe is foe. Uh, enemy is enemy. All will experience the same side of God if you're an enemy. It uh, doesn't matter how bad of an enemy, how bad of a sinner you are, how bad of an unbeliever you are, an atheist, whatever. Uh, you're, you're still in the foe category, and, and God's going to kind of look at uh, people in that category in one way as opposed to the others. But uh, friend can be broken down uh, further, and we can see some distinctions uh, when you break it down. But before we break it down, let's, let's change the name from friend to, to church. Uh, because church is used a whole lot more than friend of God. It's referenced uh, once or twice, and we know Abraham is the only man in the Bible to be labeled the friend of God, but Jesus says that we are his friends if we do what he says, obey his commandments. So we do have that reference, but uh, the church, the reference to the church is, is a whole lot more. And so we'll, we'll, we'll change that to uh, foe and church. This thing called church, uh, or what it literally means is the called out ones, you're called out, and so that's the church, ecclesia. Uh, called out for a purpose. He's called us out of the world for a purpose, to set, be set apart, to be distinguishable uh, from the world. Why? Because he has a purpose for us. Uh, and so any purpose, any vessel that God uses is holy. And so if you're, you first got to pull that vessel out and you got to clean it up and, and, and sanctify it, and then you can use it for uh, a holy purpose. And so the church literally means called out, an assembly of called out people. Uh, and, and so... Uh, the Bible labels us with different titles, kind of implying different relationships within the church. And, and the three that are mentioned most uh, that we'll dive into in this series are uh, the sons of God. We're called the sons of God. Obviously, you can hyphenate as daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God we're referred to. We are also referred to as the body of Christ. And we are also referred to as the bride of Christ. Uh, and so the, the purpose of this series is we're going to dive into those categories and, and see like what, 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 what's the differences between those and if there's any kind of difference in the relationship that God has uh, with the son of, sons of God and as the body of Christ and as the bride of Christ. Uh, and, and so it may seem like splitting hairs, but I believe that if, if we take a look at each of those and, and understand those types of relationships and what it means to be each of those, then I think we can become a healthier individual 
a healthier body and a healthier church and our relationship with God will grow stronger and because of that we will bear more fruit and more of God's glory will shine through our lives and therefore we can have a greater impact in our world around us when we have a better understanding of who we are and our calling in God. And so we'll finish out tonight talking about God's relationship with his foes as uh, that can, uh, it's not going to take much to describe all that. And it's kind of hard to imagine, but there was a time when God didn't have any foes. All was well and peace emanated throughout the heavens. That angels gathered around the throne of God and sang and, and shout praises unto him. But one day, this, this archangel named Lucifer, who was believed to be in charge of the worship, uh, uh, one day this happened in Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heaven, above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Before this point, everything was good. Then all of a sudden, uh, Lucifer uh, uh, got a little prideful, and he says, hey, I'm going to be like the Most High God. If I'm up here uh, leading all these angels in worship, um, uh, look what I have done, and look, look what I can do. And so, hey, uh, I must be great too, and so I'm going to exalt my throne, and I will be like the Most High. And so someone dared to challenge the Most High. Never before had this happened, of course, we don't know, but this is the story that we have. Uh, a, a, a friend is not going to rise up and to try to mutiny and take over uh, the position in heaven. Oh, the only one who would do that is a foe, is an enemy. And so thus, uh, a side of God that hadn't really been revealed before, uh, the relationship within, with an enemy of the Most High God has never kind of really uh, showed itself before because it's, as far as we know, it, nothing like this has ever happened. And, and, and so uh, now we, we see this aspect of this characteristic of God, this relationship now that has to be formed and, and, and merged uh, because of, of a new individual. And what happened in verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down into hell to the sides of the pit. Uh, and, and so Lucifer gets booted out of heaven. He loses his position. Uh, he takes a third of the angels with him. Uh, he wants his own throne. And so God says, well, you can have your own throne, but it ain't going to be in heaven. You can have your own throne in this place that I have created just for you, and it's called hell. You want a throne? Here's a place where you can rule. That's in hell in the everlasting fire. We see in Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them, Unto the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devils, for the devil and his angels. So hell was not made for humans. 
Hell was not made for humans. It was made for those who rose up with Lucifer against God Almighty. And so hell was made for these newly discovered enemies of God. And God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God doesn't want to send any humans to hell to a place that he did not make for them. He doesn't want to see anybody, any human go to hell because that's not what it was created for. Hell is reserved for the enemies of God. And that at the time that it was made, the enemies of God were the devil and those that went with him. And in this life, we get to decide, are we going to be a friend or foe? And sadly, we are told that many, that the majority of humans will choose to be placed in the category of enemy of God. And that's crazy to think about. Crazy to think about. We, I mean, obviously, we were all in that category at one point, and uh, you know, a lot of the times you don't even realize what's going on until truth comes. Somebody brings some revelation to you, the Word of God, and, and enlightens your mind, and you realize, wow, what what have I been doing? Why why would I want to become? Why would I want to be the enemy of God? I want to be the friend of God. And so, what do you do to be the friend of God? You go got to obey His commandments, and it says you got to be born again. Okay, Lord, lead me to that water. I got to repent of my sins, be baptized in Jesus' name and buried with him and receive the spirit of the living God and speaking in other tongues and all of a sudden you realize and you understand and you know that you're something changed. Not just in our lives, but there's an, the, the, a shift happened in the heavens because now God has shifted his relationship with you. Now no longer he looks at you as a foe, but now you're a friend and all of a sudden things change. Things change when you're on, when you're when you're in the friend category, and so uh, uh, you can be the ruler of your own kingdom, and you can reign in hell, or you can surrender your kingdom and become a servant of the Most High, and you get to live forever and ever in a place that we can't even imagine how great it is. And so we have figured it out, even though uh, I get to be king of my own kingdom, I found out that my kingdom really it wasn't all that great. I mean, I, I would, you know, brag about it, but really it wasn't nothing. I mean, it was, it was worthless. And that's what everyone really is uh, that's out in the world. They're, they're trying to, to brag about how great their kingdom is, and really inside it's, it's, it's horrible. It's the pits. Being the king of a dump isn't really any fun. That's that was my kingdom, uh, and so nothing to bra to brag about. You you, once you come home and realize what kind of kingdom you got, you know it's not good. Out there with your friends, you talk about how great it is. Just don't come over. My kingdom's so great, you, you don't even want to come into my kingdom. Uh, so, uh, Psalms eighty four says, for a day in thy court is better than a thousand. 
I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in a tent of wickedness. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the kingdom of God than be a king in my own kingdom. Why? Because in here, just as long as you get in here, it's so much greater than anything you can imagine out there. Any life that we've strived for out there doesn't compare to just being a doorkeeper in the house of God. I have learned that I'd rather clean the toilets in the church than to be the CEO of a company that God labels as the enemy of God. It's not even a comparison. I've come to find out through through experience and through revelation and through understanding, hey, I'd rather come here and, and clean the toilets than to be the CEO of a company that's going against God. It's not even worth it anymore. And so now this, this, this side of God has, has been revealed, uh, but this relationship uh, is reserved only for his enemies uh, that uh, are, are part of that. Uh, but now the time comes when God makes the universe and the earth and all that we know of, um, and he makes Adam and Eve, and he spends time with his precious creation and a relationship is formed with these new creatures, these humans. And they know of God and they, they walk with him and they know of his goodness, they know of his love, of his kindness. And uh, this God guy, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's my best friend and he's so great and credible. And, but I don't think Adam was aware of this place called hell. He, he would uh, have no reason to be privy to any other relationships that God has with other beings, with, that he has with those fallen angels. Why would Adam really need to know about that? I mean, all he knows is God for who he is, the relationship that he has. And so, but Adam got to see firsthand that there is a different side of God. And when I say different side, obviously, you know, I'm not saying a bad side because God has no bad sides. You can take a picture of him from any direction and it's all good. And so the friends of God get to see his goodness while the enemies of God get to see that he is just, that he is the judge, and they get to experience his judgment. We are aware of this part of God, and it's totally fine by me if I don't get to see any of his judgment. I don't, I don't want to see that side. I've been on that side before. And, and I've already experienced enough of that already. But when Adam made the decision that I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what God said, I'm going to do what I want to do, that I will be like the Most High. I will know good and evil like the Most High. Uh, and so he took a part of the fruit, and that's when his eyes were opened. Not just to good and evil, not just to evil, but also to the fact that not everybody is a friend of God. Now he understands, hey, there's not everybody's friendly out there, and there's people, there's beings out there that are not on God's good side. As Jesus said in John 15, ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, don't eat of the fruit. Whoops, thought you were my friend. I guess you're not. And so as Adam and Eve were waiting for their moving pod to arrive, 
God showed them some grace and he prepared them for their new life that is going to be outside of the garden. And, uh, and they stepped out of the garden of God into a world where enemies of God exist. With pain and discomfort, with thorns and thistles, this is a different world. Not what we're used to. Why? Because the friends of God got to live in this place but the enemies of God, they live in a different world, don't they? And they will now get to choose out here in this fallen world uh, what side they're going to choose to be on. God still gives, gave them an opportunity to choose, friend or foe, blessing or cursing. And he still gives that opportunity to every single person that is alive and has ever been alive. Uh, what side do you want to be on? What relationship are, you, are we going to have here uh, throughout your life? Are you going to choose friend or are you going to choose foe? It's a tough world out there, but it's a lot tougher when you're walking around with a target on your back that says enemy of God. It's a lot harder life. I tried living it and it wasn't. it's not worth it. Take that target off and come in here and get, take on the name of Jesus. Things get so much better in your life. And, and, and we know that, that God is a good marksman with arrows and lightning bolts or whatever he needs. And he only needs, he only needs one to hit you because he doesn't miss. And so if you're walking around with a target on your back that says enemy of God, one of these days there's going to be a bullseye right in, right in their back. And so... The, the truth is, is that we are living and walking around in a world that was created and sustained by the very voice of God. And, and so the enemies don't realize this, but the enemies of God are literally surrounded on every single side. Every step they take, they're surrounded by the things of God. All God's got to do is to speak to a palm tree and say, fall on that guy. And the palm tree say, no, God, I'm a good palm tree. I'm, I'm healthy. I don't need to, I don't, shouldn't fall over. God speaks to a tree, guess what? It falls over. A perfectly good palm tree is just going to fall over and, and do whatever God says. Or, oh, you want to hide out in some concrete shelter that you make? How about God just speaks to the ground and tells it to open up and swallow you from the inside? Happened to a guy in Tampa a few years back. Sinkholders, bloop, took him right out of his bedroom. Thought you are safe behind those concrete walls that we build. You want to run and hide in the caves and mountains or go to some remote island? Well, we just finished talking about the book of Revelation. And, and didn't we see where those mountains and islands went? Uh, the book of Revelation really puts into perspective the different relationships that God has with humanity, with friend and with foe. Same God, but different things happen to different people. Depending on the relationship that they have with him. And so I want to be the friend of God, don't you? I want to be on his good side. I want to see his blessings and his abundant mercy and grace. A amen. And so we know what side to be on and what side to stay on. Musicians, if you would come. As I mentioned earlier, we could break down the category of enemy of God into subsections, but it really doesn't make a difference, does it? Sinner, unbeliever, unbeliever, adulterer, liar. It really doesn't matter because it's all the same relationship with God. And that's not good. It's not a good relationship. However people want to color it, it's not a good relationship. 
However people want to excuse it, it's not a good relationship to be in. If I could locate one characteristic that is, that is found in every enemy of God, doesn't matter what type of lifestyle they're living, what kind of sinful deeds they're doing, uh, if we can locate one characteristic that is the same in all of them, I would say, in my own opinion, I'm going to say it's pride. Pride. It's what rose up in Lucifer's heart that made him the enemy of God. And it's the, it's the poison, it's a toxin inside of every single human being, this thing called pride. Pride says that uh, I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of any, whatever anyone else says. And, and pride says I'm not going to submit and be a servant, I'm going to be a king instead. That's what pride's saying. And, and so Proverbs 16 and 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But pride is not always so bold. Pride is stubbornness. Pride is just simply ignoring. Pride is just disregarding. I'm not going to worry about that. Pride is acting like everything is okay when you know it's not. Pride does. Puffs you up and, and, and tries to, you tell yourself everything's fine when it's not. That's pride. And, and it's not like people go to the store and buy a two liter of pride and chug it every day. Although it seems like some people do that. Or they don't go and get a spoonful of pride in their morning coffee. Just as our body generates blood cells and skin cells and bile and insulin and a billion other things that these complex things create every single day, our flesh and our human spirit will produce pride all by itself. You don't have to do anything to get more pride. It'll just slowly generates. Small amounts, but over time they can really add up. We, ha- we have more pride now than we did a week ago. If you just let it alone by itself, you'll have more pride now than you did a week ago. And without realizing it, our hearts can become hardened and calloused without us even realizing that's pride, just hardening our hearts. Uh, that, that's why so much damage happened to, to Egypt. What, what happened, is, what did it say? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pride. I'm not going to let them go. I'm holding on to these. Pride will harden our hearts quicker than anything else. Uh, and, and Paul explains to us that the flesh wars against the spirit. And I believe that pride is that fuel of the flesh and of carnality. Uh, because pride says, I can make it on my own. Pride says, I don't need the Spirit of God. I can do it. Pride says, I don't need to read the Word of God. I, I don't need to pray. I'm fine without those things in my life. I've gotten, gotten by without praying and without reading, and so obviously I, I'm okay. I'm good. And, and so I can just show up on a Sunday, and all will be okay. And, and those are the words of someone that is intoxicated by pride because if you really think about it, with a, with a fresh, open mind, why would we even begin to believe that we can survive without prayer? 
or survive without the Word of God or survive without the Spirit of God in life. We know with an open mind and understanding, we know that without those things, we're not going to make it. But yet people, we, we can walk through our life and say, hey, I, I don't need it. We don't necessarily say, I, I don't need to pray. We just don't pray. We don't say, I don't, need to read, I don't need the Word of God in my life. We just don't read it. Of course, if we heard ourselves saying that, we'd be like, what? What's coming out of my mouth? But it, that's why I'm saying pride is not always so bold. It can just be like just ignoring or not even think about it or not even realizing, hey, I just you go through the day without even saying a prayer or, or, or searching the Word of God. And uh, uh, pride is going to lead our flesh away from those things. Why would pride make us read the Word of God? Because pride doesn't survive in the Word of God. Pride doesn't survive uh, when the Spirit is in charge. Because we got to humble ourselves. And humbling ourselves means there's no pride. We've removed our pride or we squashed our pride the best we can so that the Spirit of God can do uh, what He wants to do in our lives. And so uh, it, it can be so subtle that we may not even realize that we're being intoxicated by this poison called pride. But if we examine our actions, and reflect on our actions, we might be able to see a pattern emerge. And um, like I said, pride isn't so bold, but it's often a silent killer. Don't pray, don't read his word, don't fast, do any, don't do anything spiritual all week, and just show up on Sunday. You're, you're not some evil person. No, you're just a whole lot more carnal than you are spiritual. And pride will say, well, there's nothing wrong. I made it through this week without doing anything. Hey, next Sunday's coming. I'll get a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost, and I'll, I'll blabber in, in tongues, and I'll speak in tongues, and everything's going to be okay, and I'll survive another week on my own, fueled by pride. Because there's nothing wrong with being spiritually dry, is there? Being spiritually insensitive, there's nothing wrong with ignoring God's word and his ways, is there? I mean, that's what our actions will are, are saying. We don't have to say the words. There's nothing wrong with all those things, right? And yet we, we can, it can be so subtle that we don't even realize it, that we're allowing pride to dictate our steps as opposed to the word of God and the spirit of God. If you stand with me tonight. When we're talking about, when talking about the enemies of God, we in the church automatically, we exclude ourselves, and rightfully so. I mean, we're in the church, the church of the living God. But if pride is the common denominator of the enemies of God, does that mean that pride doesn't get in the church? Well, what, if it's in the church and in our hearts, it, it must be less potent because we're the friend of God. And, you know, when, when you're the friend of God, pride doesn't affect you as much. Because nothing can remove us from that category of being the friend of God, right? 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That means they're in the church, right? People are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils. 
how in the world does that happen? You're a friend of God. You're in the church. You're safe from all that stuff, right? I'm not exactly sure, but my guess would be pride somehow. Pride is the culprit. It's always the culprit. In my mind, somebody who humbles himself daily, who, who works to, to remove any and all pride that is generated on a daily basis to ask God to create in you a clean heart and renew a right spirit within you every day because the heart that I had yesterday got is toxic and polluted by my flesh, and so I need a new heart today that's not infected by all this pride. And so somebody that works to remove all of that and, and prays and, and speaks in tongues and is full of the Spirit and, and fasts and studies the Word of God, they're going to have a whole lot harder of a time departing from the faith, in my opinion. But somebody who barely prays, barely opens the Word of God, that is probably more led by pride than they realize and not by the Spirit, I can kind of see that happening to them, being led astray and falling from the faith. And also, verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What do you think sears somebody's conscience? Pride. Somebody that's so proud, they're so locked up in their, their beliefs, they're so prideful that, hey, this is the way, this is who I am, this is the way our family believes for generations. We're proud about this. And, and pride will sear somebody's conscience. Why? Because to get back in, you got to repent. And if pride's not going to let you repent. And so their conscience are seared by, by, their, by their pride. And they think they're in the truth or, and believe in these new things. And so, verse 3, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And Paul's given an example of here that they have some, someone forbidding to eat certain meats that were obviously being a Jew, they were, they were once viewed as unclean and unable to eat. Uh, but look what Paul says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So now this meat, this animals who we thought was unclean and unable to touch, Paul says, hey, that, that unclean animal is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Something that was once unclean can now be made clean. By what? By the word of God and by prayer. And that is why... We need to continually pray and continually study the Word of God and continually to fast. Why? Because it sanctifies us. It keeps us clean. It keeps us holy. It keeps us righteous. It keeps us from the uncleanliness of this world. What does that? The Word of God and prayer is going to do that, going to help keep you sanctified. And so we don't need to be doing less of that nowadays, but we need to be doing more of that, in my opinion. We need to be doing more prayer and more reading the Word of God. If that's what's going to sanctify an animal, I want that to sanctify me. And looking at that world out there, it's getting dark really quick. 
And that means, hey, God, I need to be cleansed even more. I want to stand out even more. I want to be a part. I want to be called out. The ecclesia, the church, called out for a purpose, and I need to be cleansed. And the only way we are cleansed is through the washing of the water of the Word of God and through prayer. And so what do we do? 1 Peter 5 and 5, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud. He resists the proud in the world and he'll resist any pride in the church. God doesn't care where the pride comes from. He recognizes, he understands, hey, this is pride. I'm resistant pride. If it's in, if you're in the church and you're proud, guess what? You're going to have some resistance, are you? Uh, because God is not a respecter of persons in this aspect. He doesn't like pride. Uh, and, and so it, God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So grace is the way. Humbling ourselves is the way. Not resisting and not being stubborn and not being uh, arrogant and prideful, but picking up our cross every single day and following Him. I want to be a friend of God, and Jesus says, if you want to be my friend, you've got to obey my commandments. And what did He say? Pick up your cross every day, every single day and nail your pride to that cross. Nail your will to that cross. Nail your desires and your flesh to that cross, and you'll come and follow me, and you'll be uh, my friend. Because it's not my kingdom, God, it's your kingdom. I don't want my kingdom to come to pass. I want your kingdom to come to pass. It's not my will to be done, Lord. It's your will to be done. And so we need to decrease so that he may increase because we need to stay in the church in these last days. He's coming back for a church, a glorious church, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. And we need to stay inside and separate ourselves as best we can. Can we do that today? Can we worship the Lord? Can we give him thanks for his grace and his mercy? Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity, Lord, that we can come in here and experience this relationship with you. Come on, let's Who worship the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, who are we that we've got that you hear me? That we can be here, Jesus. When I call. But since I'm here, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. you Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How you love me. Thank you, Jesus. It's amazing, so amazing. Oh, now I am a friend of God. Yes, now Aren't I am a thankful friend of God. To be called His friend. I am a friend Hallelujah. of God. He calls me friend. Hallelujah. Oh, I am a friend of God. Yes, I am a friend of a friend of God. He calls me friend. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Oh, that you love me. When I call, is it true that you
Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. We give you praise and glory. We magnify you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for changing our lives and changing our ways. Hallelujah, that we can be called your friend because we know we were once your enemy. And we're grateful to be here and be blessed by your presence. Hallelujah. It's great to be a part of what God is doing and being his friend. Amen. Amen. One more one more note to mention is I think what happens a lot is being being spirit-filled church, uh, you know, God moves, his spirit moves regardless of what we do many times. And sometimes we think that because uh, you know, we will speak in tongues or we're we're used in the gifts that we're that makes us spiritual people. And our pride will jump on that and say, see, hey, you didn't, you didn't do anything all week and you still spoke in tongues. You're, you're okay. You don't need to worry about that. But uh, go, I, I encourage you to go read the book of Corinthians and understand that they were using the gifts of the Spirit. But they were, they were one of the carnalest church out there. They, were, they, had, they had problems. They were a carnal church and yet God still used them. And so just because if God uses you, don't let your pride say, hey, you're, you're a super spiritual person. Because your pride will jump on that and, and, and think you're okay. 
We want to humble ourselves and keep ourselves humble. We don't need any pride or self-righteousness in our lives because we, we don't need the resistance from God. We want, we want all access to God, don't we? Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight. Enjoy.